Hello, and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from a church past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Okay, so I know it's been forever and a day since y'all have heard from me. I apologize. Today's Halloween, and I have not yet released anything for Series 8 All About That Jazz. So at this point, I'm going to have to say that that series has been indefinitely postponed. Sorry, I'm sorry. Honestly, I've been really busy still, you know, getting caught up at the new job. Um... Also, I just started a four-week ASL class in the evenings, and in November, I'm signed up to take an eight-session boxing class. And then on top of all this, my laptop is not working, and she's in pristine condition, but she's very old, poor thing. The processing core is at the end of its life, so now I have to suck it up and go forward and buy a new laptop. But um, basically, I just I ran out of time. There's no more time to get a series done in less than two months. So I apologize for that. Um, I will not be doing it in 2024, at least not immediately in 2024. Uh, Maybe the end, most likely not. I have some other things in mind. So um, this is, like I said, Halloween, which um, it's weird. Like, It doesn't really feel like Halloween, but maybe that's just because I haven't celebrated Halloween since I was a child. Um, Until this year, I was at the Hub, my community garden here in Argentina, and we had a trunk or treat for the kids, and we had like 200 people. Um, Carter, the gal who runs it, was out there with a clicker trying to catch everybody, and I know she didn't catch everybody, so at least 200 people, which is pretty awesome. But um, anyways, it's Tuesday night, and... Last weekend, I spent a few days over at the Truman Archives and Museum. Oh, sorry, library. I don't know why I keep saying archives. The Truman Library and Museum in Independence, Missouri. Um, I was actually there for a conference, the MAMA and KCAA joint meeting. That's the Missouri Association of Museums and Archives and the Kansas City Area Archivists. Um, first conference that I have been to since November 2018, so it felt utterly amazing to get back into that, um, like, make connections with so many other, uh, curators and archivists here in the area, and, man, I, I came home Friday night, a little bit Saturday, Saturday not as much because I was tired by then, but um, I came home Friday night pumped. It took a good two hours for all that energy to leave because, like, the talks were just on point, and I I have so many ideas for the archives now. I'm so excited. Um, and I can talk more about that in another episode, maybe if y'all are interested. But this was my first time visiting the Truman Library, and Amazing facility. Apparently, um, 
some folks got a literal behind-the-scenes tour of their storage area, and I don't know how, but I missed that. I wish I had seen it. I saw a couple of pictures online from one of my new friends. It's like, ooh, ooh, look at that. Look at that. Anyways. Anyways. Okay, let's free focus here. I'm not talking about the conference, even though it was amazing. I want to tell you about how amazing this is. So this is the presidential library. Um, and for those of you who don't live in America, or maybe you do and you still just haven't heard of a presidential library, what we do is once a president has left the office, we create for them, and I want to say it's usually their hometown, but maybe not. In this case, it is Mr. Truman's, uh, President Truman's hometown. We create for them a library, archive, museum, you know, slash together facility to chronicle their time as president and the effects. No, not effects. The, um, oh, I was doing so good. Um, to chronicle their time as presidency and, you know, not just what they did, but how, why they made those decisions and then, and then what the ripple effects were. There we go. That's a good description. So let's um, start with a little bit about the museum, you know, the when it's open, blah, blah, blah. Then I'll give you a quick bio on Truman, and then I'll talk about my impression of the exhibits. So they're open Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, and 12 to 5 on Sundays. Tickets are $12 for adults, $5 for teenagers, 12 and under are free. I saw that, I was like, whoo, nice. Usually the, the kids are free is like two or and or maybe three and under, but twelve and under. That's nice. Yeah, you're still a kid when you're seven. Um eight dollars with the college ID and ten dollars for vets and seniors. They have I don't remember exactly at the moment. I, I feel like it was fifteen or sixteen, you know, quote galleries in the museum portion. Um Everything flows really nicely. So it's not like it's not like you're at the Nelson Atkins and you have gallery, impressionist, gallery, baroque. It's not distinct like that. But um, you know, they did manage to design it so that you have one section that feels like this is a room, and then you turn a corner and this feels like a room. Um they also said that they have something like 16 million documents within their archive, because even though it's called the Library and Museum, they do still have an archive. Um, and 16 million might be wrong. That might be somebody else who spoke at the um, conference, but it sounds about right. So Harry S. Truman was born in Lamar, Kansas. Actually, when I was very, very young, like age five and under, my great aunt and cousins lived in Lamar, and we had the best adventures. Anyways, um, just personal to see that. I saw that, and I was like, oh, I know where Lamar is. Anyways, anyways, um, he was born in Lamar on May 18th, 1884, to Martha Ellen Young Truman and John Anderson Truman. When he was very young, they moved to Independence, Missouri, and so that's where he grew up, where he met his future life, oh, sorry, future wife, lived the majority of his life, um, and then 
after pres um let me try that one more time even after he was president they still had a house in independence that they spent a lot of time in and they returned to that house after his presidency there we go no more tongue taught tongue twisters there his grandmother had um i don't know if this is how they refer to themselves it's like a giant giant farms so i was gonna say plantation but that connotation may not be correct. So I guess we'll, we will go with very, very large farm. Um, and apparently the house is still there and it's a house museum. So that needs to be an adventure in the future. His wife was Elizabeth Virginia Wallace, a.k.a. Bess. She was born February 13th, 1885 in Independence to David Willock Wallace and Madge Gates Wallace. And they, oh, that's okay. So my sentence there is poorly written. That's when she was born. They married in Independence on June 28th, 1919. Um, apparently, Harry proposed to her at least twice. Um, the first time being in a letter. So real quick. Oh my God. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of letters that they wrote to one another. And they're all... Not all. Like, some are just uh, regular correspondence, I guess, but most of them are love letters. It's very sweet. Um, but so the, the very first time he proposed to her was via letter in 1911, and she said no, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Um, and then, like I said, he must have proposed at least one other time, and she said yes. I a little bit hope that there was a time in between where she also said no. They had... One child together, a daughter, Mary Margaret. She was born on February 17th, 1924. Aww. Mom and daughter almost shared a birthday. They're birthday buddies. It's sweet. He got into politics through his friendship with Tom Pendergast. Went on to become senator, then vice president, and then president after FDR's sudden death. Only 82 days into his re-election in 1945. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I don't know how it works in other democracies around the world. In America, when the president dies, then the vice president automatically becomes president. Like, I'm sort of assuming it's that way for all of you, but maybe you're like, no, no, we hold an actual election to pick a new president. We don't. Forgive the white space here. I hit the wrong button. Okay, there we go. Um... So, the VP will automatically become president, and then so long as the VP serves under two years, that does not count towards their two terms that they're allowed to serve, and each term is four years. So, a president can serve up to eight years. Um, that actually did not start until after Truman. Um, I think I have it in my notes somewhere else, but it's like... 1950s oh no here it is here it is um that was not formally put into place until 1952 which is why it didn't apply to german he could have been president for more than eight years he decided not to and it is why teddy roosevelt served three terms because he was extremely popular Given our modern political climate, I am extremely glad we have a two-term limit. 
anyway, all that to say, um, he first became president in 1945. He served for four years and then was reelected in his own right in 1948. So he was president from 48 to 52. And as I said before, the Trumans returned to their home in independence after their time in D.C. But what they did after the presidency, I won't go into here because the museum focuses on the presidency. Harry S. Truman died on December 5th, 1972 in Kansas City, Missouri. So the Truman Museum starts off with a video. Actually, that's the very first room. And the video is um, mostly news reports from the death of FDR and the ascension of Truman as president. And then also quotes from um, like cabinet members and I think a, a general saying, you know, here's what Truman was like and we hope that he's a good president. Like it's quotes from that moment in history. Um. And then when you're done there and you step into the, I, f I feel like that's more of a precursor, right? So then when you actually, you know, first step into the museum, you start seeing exhibits and artifacts. Um, it actually starts with him courting his wife, Bess, and his enlistment during World War I. So it totally skips his childhood. There's a little bit about his time in local politics here in Kansas City and his connection to Pendergast. Personally, I think they could have done a little bit more there, but honestly, that's that's probably just because I love Pendergast so much. Um, and I know why that they didn't do more, um, because the focus, as I have said a couple times now, is on his presidency. And they have so much in there that this was... Nowhere near as important as everything that they did cover. There, we'll just say that. That's a good precursor. But if you too are interested in Pendergast, or you don't know who Pendergast is, then listen to series two of this show, Paris of the Plains. All right. Um, all right, so quickly, we're going to change modes for a second. I think, very sure that I've mentioned on here before, that until graduate school... I super hated American history, like really, truly. It wasn't until grad school and really mostly after graduate school that I started to enjoy local history. Um, and now I find that it, I love it more and more the more I study it. But I hated it because, because in elementary school and middle school and high school, the focus of American history was always Always, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, the pilgrims, that's like, you know, week one, and then you immediately hit the Revolutionary War, you skipped a couple hundred years of history, but whatever, and then immediately skipped to the Civil War, again, you just missed a few decades, and then after that, I would say the focus was World War II. That's a big time jump. In between Civil War and World War II, you know, there was a small section, maybe um, not until high school, honestly, on Prohibition, World War I, suffrage, and the Great Depression. 
Eh, okay, maybe, maybe you covered some of that in middle school. Mostly it was high school. And then there was a small section on the Civil Rights Movement and MLK in the 60s. Nothing. Definitely nothing after the 60s. I still know very little um, history, especially political. Political history is not really my favorite. Um, from the 70s and 80s. And everything that I know now about the 50s and 60s, I did not learn in a formal schooling. I, I just picked it up through conversation and through other studies. So, that all that said, legit did not know like 90% of anything to do with Truman that I, I did not say that right. Let me try that again. Everything that I learned about Truman from this museum, 90% of it had no idea that Truman was a part of. None. Like... He is actually the one responsible for the desegregation of schools in the military in the 50s, and he advocated for universal health care in the 50s. He advocated for um, a few other social programs too, but his Republican Senate and um, House were opposed to his efforts. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Um, also, don't think I really knew that he was the president for the last few months of the World War II. And he's the one who ordered the atomic bombs dropped in Japan. I'm not ignorant of all World War II history, you know, even though I don't like war history. I knew that the bombs had been dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I just didn't realize the timing, I suppose, and didn't really know who the president was at the time. Um... Should have said this real quick. Should have said this way back when I was talking about this is when the museum is open and how much it costs. Give yourselves two hours to go through everything. Very honest. I was there for an hour and a half. Not enough time. And y'all know that I like to read all the panels. <sighs> Promise you, I did not read most of the panels because there was so much. And, you know, the World War section was hard. The... World War II section was especially hard. They always are. But the section of World War II where they talked about the bombing of Japan was almost nauseating. Uh, it was very, very uncomfortable. Um, uh, actually, in retrospect, reminds me of a little bit, not as strong, nowhere near as strong, honestly, but a little bit of how I felt while I was at that Auschwitz exhibit that um, Union Station had a year-ish ago. And as I was walking through this section, you know, I couldn't help but compare it to our modern conflicts in my mind. Now, folks who work at the Truman Museum are extremely conscientious of the controversial nature of this topic and the artifacts and original documents and the videos that they used in this section. Um, I mean, they do that throughout the whole exhibit, of course, and they're all good, but they were very, very deliberate about which ones that they used in this section and the way in which they presented the material. 
So when I walked through the museum Thursday night, um, like the conference was really Friday and Saturday and they had a, you know, please come and see the museum beforehand sort of thing. I found myself wishing as I was walking through there uh, that they had gone ahead and just explicitly condemned Trump for the use of his atomic bomb. Because, to be honest, had I been in charge of this exhibit, I think that's what I, I would have advocated for. However, they did not do that. They did the hard thing, but the right thing. And they used the elements of their exhibit to reveal all the opinions on this horrific event. There was a small screen almost at the end of this particular section um, to the right. And it's very small. It's almost tucked away in a, in a way. Um, and I don't remember what it said that it caught my eye, but basically... It was like scroll left to hear testimony of survivors and of the radiation poisoning that followed afterwards, see images of the aftermath, or scroll left. No, I said that before. Whatever is one way or the other. Um, in the other direction, you could hear testimony from American soldiers at the time. So, you know. To the left, there were some people in the video, survivors, who said, um, we don't even feel like it's America's fault. We feel like it's our own nation's fault because they attacked first. Some blamed the Americans, of course. And then on the soldier side, there were soldiers and then um i think there was also a mother or a, somebody a family member from a soldier who said we're just glad that they're coming home and i mean the history here is there are no words but i feel like they did a really really good job of presenting the facts um, presenting all the lead-up to it, the decision, and presenting how and why Truman made this decision. Oh, wow, it's, um, it's been a few days, but actually I can still sort of feel an echo of those emotions. Let's move on. So, as president during the early 1950s, Truman dealt with the beginnings of the Cold War with Russia. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, of the Cold War with Russia. Of America's political oppositions to communism throughout the world. The, quote, Red Scare. Um, that, if you've never heard of it or you have, but you're like, I don't know what it is. Um, basically, in the 1950s, everyone was terrified that they were going to be labeled a communist and then lose their job and go to jail. Um, it's basically the 1950s version of cancel culture. And a lot of that happened, yes, but, you know, most of it was blown out of proportion. Oh, you're a homosexual? Oh, you must be a communist. Oh, 
you don't go to church, you're an atheist, or, I don't know, yeah. you just don't go to church, oh, you must be a communist. Oh, you said this one thing and I disagree. You must be a communist. And so, false accusations everywhere. And he also dealt with the Korean War. So, mentioned a moment ago, 1950s history, always skipped over in American history class. Did not know that any of this was German. And I never knew why we had the Korean War. So, now I do. Um, basically, America decides, and I guess I'm still not clear on how, when, why, but totally ruined it. I actually, as I say this, I'm like, yeah, you do, Laura. Okay, so World War II is ended because of multiple, multiple factors. I'm not even going to get into that. Let me try a different tract here. World War II ended with Russia having switched sides and helped America and Britain and France defeat Germany, correct? Okay. They have already had their revolution, revolutions, and are a communist nation before the end of World War II. So now that Europe is being set to rights, those on the winning side, Britain, France, America, Russia, actually the, the top three would be Russia, Britain, and America. And I feel like for some reason, France is actually number fourth on the list, but whatever. They're like, you know what? We need to, one, punish Germany for this, but two, we need to make sure that we don't punish it so harshly that we start World War III because... After World War I, everyone punished Germany. They had a major economic depression, and it was very easy for Hitler to come to power in that time period. So, you know, Germany is divided. Berlin is even more divided. And it's, it's kind of mostly divided between America, maybe America and England, and Russia. So I'm I'm guessing not I'm guessing. I'm inferring that this is really the beginning of our opposition um to them because Russia has, you know, taken over most, if not all, of Eastern Europe. They really want to take over all of Germany. And they are also spreading a little bit east. Communism is also on the rise in China. They haven't become a communist nation yet, but they're very close. So, um, America, Truman is like, hmm, we don't like this. We really want to be top dog. We like democracy. This is not democracy. So, so, Korea is divided in half along the 78th parallel. That means it's the 78th latitude. Latitude is horizontal on a map because it's like a ladder longitude are the vertical lines and the north the top half is communist controlled and the bottom half is the south democratically controlled so finally the ruler of north korea is like mm, i really want to take over the rest of this land because we're all korea 
And Truman immediately says, I don't like this. Hey, you win. Let's put together an army from all of our combined nations and go defend democracy. And UN says, yes, that is a great idea. We need to protect democracy. And there's also talk of this could start World War III. Okay, really? I don't know how they got there because looking at it in retrospect, well, okay, it's in retrospect. You know, Vision's always 2020 then, but um, comparison to every other conflict that we're like, this could start World War III. I feel like Korea is not at the top of that list. Anyways, they, we, then we have the Korean War. Lots of back and forth. Um, something that the museum made sure they touched on was that Congress was not happy because Congress is the only one in America allowed to declare war, not the president. So when Trump Truman was um, advocating for the Korean War, he always was like, this is a military endeavor. It's a police force. This is not a war. Okay, you're skirting the line there, buddy. It was a war. But that opened up the way for future presidents to declare war on their own and bypass Congress, which, trust me, they have used. So, um, getting a little bit to learn about, about the Korean War, that was interesting. They also had a gallery focused on Israel. Why, you ask? That seems a little odd. Well, because through a completely gross simplification of events... The British Empire stuck their nose where it did not belong into Palestinian politics during and after World War I. And after World War II, they're like, you know what? We're just going to wash our hands of this. We're going to withdraw. This needs to become the Jewish homeland. And everyone did their thing. And in 1948, the Jewish state was declared. Exactly 11 minutes after that, so you know he was looking at a clock, Truman formally acknowledged the new Israeli nation. And he was the first national leader in any other country to do so. And by doing so, he seemingly forever fermented, that's fermented, not fermented, U.S. complete and total support of Israel. So please allow me at this junction to formally denounce the Israeli government. My words have no political or substantive impact, but this needs to be said regardless. The current Palestinian-Israeli war dates back to the creation of the Israeli state. It, it dates back to this moment right here. If not before. The land that Israelis claimed was already occupied by millions of Palestinians, no one else, especially not America or England, had the right to come in and say, this is now under uh, another nation's control. The land that was supposed to be set aside for Palestinians, because it was supposed to be a two-nation state, was never set aside as it should have been, has been continually encroached upon by Israelis, that territory continues to shrink further and further every year. The Palestinian, this is, I'm going to use this term deliberately, the Palestinian people live in apartheid state. Apartheid, if you didn't know, is, uh, most famously was a system of government in South Africa where the 
entire political, social, um, sociological, cultural system was strictly divided along racial lines. They, the Palestinians, lack and have lacked for very many years sufficient access to food, water, electricity, and medicine. And for years, the UN has known, acknowledged that there is a humanitarian crisis in Gaza and the West Bank, which is predominantly where Palestinians live. And for whatever reason, their, their efforts have been completely unsuccessful. Whatever they've taken, I also don't know. Not been enough. With this increased military action in the last, what, three, almost four weeks now, that situation has become exponentially worse. Well, Hamas attacked first. Okay, first of all, everyone agrees that Hamas is a terrorist organization. It's not just America. And the attack that they launched was wrong, agreed. The hostages, 200-something people that they took hostage, is wrong, agreed. Hamas is in violation of international humanitarian law, agreed. However, their actions in absolutely no way justify the actions of the Israeli government in response. None. In the past three weeks, and this data that I have is now out of date, and I will tell you why in a minute. 1,400 Israeli citizens have been killed. No doubt, mostly non-combatants. That's 1,400 lives that were lost when they shouldn't have been. But do you know how many Palestinians have been killed? 7,000. 7,000 Palestinians murdered. Thousands more injured. Again, mostly, almost entirely, innocent bystanders. Those numbers are now out of date, because today, October 31st, 2023, Israel bombed a refugee camp in, uh, filled with Palestinian people. <clears throat> Sorry, needed a second there. Over 1 million Palestinian citizens have been displaced. They don't have anywhere safe to go because the Israeli government will not let them pass through Israeli borders. And they keep bombing the humanitarian strip. They can't safely get down to Egypt, which is the only place that they've been told that they're allowed to get out. The Israeli government, also within the last few days, um, before the, they hit this refugee camp, were targeting hospitals in absolutely clear violation of humanitarian law. Totally against the Geneva Convention, what they've done. And also today, at least I saw the video today, could have been a day or two ago, um, the Yemen, Yemeni, I think it's actually Yemeni government, has declared that they are in a state of war against Israel in response to Israeli attacks on Palestine. They have decided to throw in their law with Palestine and have sent palms against the Israeli government. 
I'll be honest, I saw that video and my first reaction was, we are fucked. Because if Yemen is going to get on on this, Saudi Arabia, and through them, America is going to get on this, and then we'll be at war again. President Biden and nearly every other member, or at least though it seems of Congress, um, I have seen one or two who have specifically denounced Israel. And you know who you are, I thank you. But most of them have simply issued statements of strong support for Israel. Okay, sure, yeah, they've condemned Hamas. But strong support for Israel after their actions? How can you still say strong support for Israel? Are you... Look, those in government have access to way more information than those of us who are just catching it on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter. There is clear photographic, demonstrable, statistical, I don't even know how else to describe it. There is, without a doubt, a, an abundance of evidence that Israel is in the wrong, have been in the wrong. And my government's refusal to take a stronger stance against Israel is honestly very painful. I do not like it. Please um, do not take my words to say that I don't mean this to be anti-Semitic, okay? Anti-Semitism is real. It is wrong. It is wrong. But Israel does need to be held accountable for its actions. We had no trouble condemning Putin for invading Ukraine unprovoked. But we can't do the same for Israel? That's hypocritical. So, yeah, I'm going to say that America's continued political support of Israel originates with Truman. And, of course, is um, continually further fueled by white national, uh, Christian nationalism. Um, but I will not get into the why up to that today. I believe I've said enough for now. Uh, the last thing that I will say, and then I'll wrap up, is if you want to support Palestinians and Israeli citizens who are, are caught in the little crossfires of war here, because there are innocents on both sides here, not in the government, there are a lot of humanitarian organizations that are helping them right now. There's a really good one here in Kansas City. It's Heart to Heart International. You can donate to them or you can volunteer to help put together humanitarian aid packages. Uh, right now, all of their volunteer days in November are full, which I think is wonderful that there are so many people who feel so passionately about this that they want to help. Um, but keep an eye out because I know that they will have more volunteer days. Uh, you can go to www.heart2heart. That's H-E-A-R-T-T-O-H-E-A-R-T dot org slash Israel dash Palestine dash response. All right, let's end on a slightly happier note. What else can I say about the Truman Library Museum? Um, Truman and Bess are both buried on the grounds of the museum. So I did see, um, like, from a distance where they're buried, but I did not go over and look at their gravestones because it was super cold and I did not want to be outside. 
but if you live in Kansas City and you've never been, you should really go. If you come to visit, highly recommend it. Thank you for joining me as we went on this adventure. Sorry, it got a little depressing. It needed to be said. Images from my adventure will be available on my social media pages, so check that out. I'll also have a mini-sode from my adventure to the Kansas City Museum coming soon. Promise not to get depressing in that episode. I hope you will become consider becoming a financial supporter of the show. There are several ways you can do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. You can also give a one-time donation at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc or coffee.com slash homegrownkc. That's ko-fi.com. You can give as little or as much as you want, even as little as $1 a month. Once you sign up, create an account, subscribe to the show, you'll be charged that day and then on the first of every following month. If you become a patron, you get three things. One, you get an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less. You get a shout-out on every episode and social media post, so thank you, Bjorn and Joan, for your continued support. And you get access to exclusive bonus content featuring other local historians, archivists, and museum curators. Everyone who simply donates will receive a shout-out on the next available episode, but you do not get anything from the merchandise store and you do not get access to that bonus content. If you're interested in what that bonus content will sound like, there are two episodes that you can listen to. Uh, One is my interview with Dr. Karma Williams of the Black Archives of Mid-America back in 2020. Um, It's actually February 2020, just before the world collapsed. And you can also listen to my episode, what's it called? Um, The Wyandotte Nation of Kansas with Second Chief Louisa Libby uh, of the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas. Um, So both of those are Patreon episodes that are available to everyone for forever. Additionally, if you want to support me, you can also, um, instead of subscribing, if that is not your desire, you can simply donate. I think I said that before, but what I'm trying to get at is if you donate, then 1% of that donation automatically goes to help collect, fight climate change. I am starting to get a little tongue-tied. It's late in the night. Um, and that is if you donate on coffee, you can also send me stars on Facebook. Somehow that equals money. Don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. If you cannot support me monetarily, which is totally cool, you can still support me by following, subscribing, and liking all my social media pages. That's Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr. I also have a YouTube channel. Make sure to rate and review me wherever you listen, but especially on Apple Podcasts. and. Tell your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers about the show and get them to listen to. You can visit my website for additional information on every topic. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. And that is the only location where you can sign up for my newsletter. Once a month, not every day because that's annoying, once a month you'll get an email from me that says, here's what's going on, here's what you can look forward to. It's just a good way to stay up to date with the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on any of my social media networks. I love to hear from y'all. 
If you're interested in what merchandise I have available, you can go to zazzle.com. That's www.zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown underscore Casey underscore store. Um, I actually need to get on there. I'm thinking about getting some new winter merch available for y'all. Thank you goes on to my very talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for the creation of my logo. To the Dear Misses for the use of their song Kansas City as the intro and outro music of every episode. And to local libraries, which enable me to gather all my research. Special thanks to the Truman for hosting us, and special thanks to you for listening. Cheers. seem to shake this feeling and I can seem to get you off my mind. I've lost my nerve forever and I know that it's now or never to try and see this through. Dire loose ends up with bow and start anew. We could talk through the nights on the phone but we toss and we turn